Welcome to another edition of What the Cross Means to Me devotional program. This is your host, Rob Holt, coming to you from the KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is good to be with you as we contemplate fresh perspectives on the meaning of the cross. I am not a theologian, but I am a photographer of over 30 years. If a picture tells a thousand words, then yes, I guess you can say I preached the glory of our Creator by capturing, illustrating, and sharing what the Creator has created. My mission is to share the gospel through my imagery, the spoken word, and the written word. This radio program fulfills the spoken part, and the imagery utilized for this devotional are of a singular cross on a lonely hill, shot over a two-year period. The written word for this program is from a book I published about that cross collection. It matches 30 cross images with 30 original essays from a wide spectrum of Christian leaders sharing their insights on the cross. The book shares the same name as this program, What the Cross Means to Me, by Harvest House Publishers. Each week we read one of the essays and ponder the wider meaning of the cross through the lens of Scripture. This week's hymn is When I Survey the Wondrous Cross by Isaac Watts, who was born in 1674. He became a pastor in 1702 and from all accounts was a very inspiring preacher. Watts wrote educational books on geography, astronomy, grammar, and philosophy, which were widely used throughout the 18th century. He is now best known for his hymns, he is recognized as the father of English hymnody, or hymnody, credited with some 750 hymns. His book, A Guide to Prayer, is published by the Trust. One I recognize is There is a Land of Pure Delight. And of course, the most famous of his hymns, Our God, Our Help in Ages Past. So let us begin the hymn. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. My richest gain I count as loss, and poor contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet? Or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small? Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. That ends the hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross by Isaac Watts, included in the book, What the Cross Means to Me. There is a poem accompanying this essay, which is by Martin Luther. It states, The cross alone is our theology. And the photo accompanying this hymn is the focus. One of the smallest cross in the Magi Cross collection. I mean, the overall image is the same as the other images, but the cross itself in the photo is about 150 feet or more away. I am crouched low to the ground, shooting through the tall summer yellow grass. The cross is a bit out of focus, but this only amplified the last light of the sun, reflecting off the cross. The amplification of light comes from a long exposure 
as well as the sun having actually already set. However, the long, slightly overexposed image created the illusion that the cross is glowing. So in this hymn, Isaac Watts touches on the core essence of my book, and the subject of this devotion, what the cross means to me, as it implies that we are going to study, map out, and learn something about and from the cross. And to the listener of this program right now, what does the cross mean to you? There are a lot of ways I can assist in the formation of that answer for you. But at the end of the day, it will be personal to you and for you. That said, it it can't hurt to hear my answer as you slowly make your own conclusions. One logical place to start is how I lost my young wife to cancer. I had no time to prepare myself or be able to say goodbye as she was here one day and gone the next. But since we are the sum of all the things we have experienced, the relevant ones and the ones we forget to remember, allow me to go back a bit further. I began living on my own right out of high school. And after a very surreal car accident, I recommitted my life to Jesus on my own terms. And after a few years of living as a fully committed young adult Christian, I met Verna, a lady of God from a neighboring church. Back then, we would get different churches to work together on different events. And it was love at first sight for me, and I guess for her too. And it is interesting that my mom had me at 16, and I met Verna at 16. Now, I was 20 years old at the time. We began dating. But dating meant I would visit her family for the evening. Dating meant going to church with her family. We never really had a traditional date with just the two of us, but that's fine. It caused for some good memories and some good bonding with her family and at her church. Now, she was known as Preacher Vern, serving as the president of her Bible club at her secular high school. Now, when she graduated, we were married. She, we got married when she was 19. We had a very full life together, full of good memories, great achievements. She was a type A personality. She desired to be a businesswoman, and she had achieved some great goals before God took her home when she was 24 years old. Now, the death, the physical death of my wife, and the encounter with God that I had when she passed, led me in a very contemplative direction. I felt something so strong at her passing. I I felt God take her hand from mine, and I felt it internal, almost to the inside of my cells. It was a connection to eternity, and it was something that I wanted to taste again. And for me, the only way I could achieve that was a quest to find, soak in, and shoot as many sunsets as I could. During this process, I want to say, because some people ask me, but I never questioned God or ever became bitter, not even for a second. Instead, I started a contemplative quest to feel what it felt like when she flatlined. The glimpse into eternity that I saw, that contemplative union with God, and that connection with her, already I was with her in heaven. Now the quest manifested for me, as I said, in chasing sunsets as a way to tap into those little glimpses of heaven, to taste even momentarily or once every few days or once every few weeks, to sense her spirit and the God who had gently touched me when he took her hand from mine. And I simply wanted to sit and soak in 
as many sunsets as possible as often as possible. That mindset, that quest, led me to a hill with a cross on it, and it was one that I made into my secret place, my hiding place, place to be truly alone but truly connected to the Trinity. I began shooting that cross, and over a few years, the cross collection emerged. The picture I'm trying to paint with that description of what the quest led me to and is leading me towards was because God chose to usher her home ahead of us. And here is what the cross means to me. Because she accepted the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross, she did not die. He simply took her to another dimension where heaven is. I say all that to segue back to this week's essay, which is actually a hymn. So let's go line by line. In the first line, the title line, it states, When I survey the wondrous cross. Well, our friends, Miriam and Webster, define survey as to inspect, scrutinize, and map out. As in, to determine and delineate the form, extent, and position say, like a track of land, or by taking linear and angular measurements. Hmm. Well, in the Infinity at its Best episode, the author of that essay refers to the horizontal line and the vertical lines as being infinite. They continue on forever. But that point where the horizontal line and the vertical line meet is where God meets us through the death and resurrection of his Son, Jesus Christ. If I am to map out the cross, for me, in my perspective, I need some surveying tools. And for me, it was being raised by two heroin addicts, one a two-time convict. And as I just described minutes ago, feeling God's hand take Verna's from mine, my life experiences are the filter through which I contemplate the meaning of the cross. Your life experiences as well will filter your assessment of the cross. But our differing perceptions should not prevent us from agreeing that there is something very special about the cross of Christ and that intersection point between the two planes. Isaac Watts refers to it as wondrous, which is defined as extraordinary or extraordinary. In other words, not ordinary at all. Synonyms include amazing, astonishing, astounding, awesome, marvelous, miraculous, Prodigious, staggering, stunning, stupendous, sublime, surprising, and of course, wonderful. And so we can translate the first line as examining the miraculous and wondrous cross of the Messiah. It is how I perceive it. In regards to the wonder it engenders, I have created a video. It's one video. Lord willing, there'll be more. But in the video I created, it's on my site and on YouTube, Magi Cross. Around the time that the book was being compiled, I used the song for the video entitled, I Wander As I Wonder by John Jacob Niles. It is the theme song to my years shooting that cross. The first set of lines states, I wonder as I wander out under the sky, how Jesus, the Savior, did come for to die for poor, ornery people like you and like I. Now, I've mentioned this on a previous episode, but I cannot get through that video without crying. And I've watched it well over hundreds of times. 
It takes me back to the time that I was wandering all by myself under the sky with that cross. And the entire time I spent up on that ridge, the sky was very expansive as it was 200 feet above the valley floor. So my horizon line was vast and I could enjoy a sunset well after the valley was deep in shade. And to be there while contemplating what sacrifice Jesus made and what it meant for all of us, but getting lost in the wonder of the implications for my late wife. In the second line, Isaac Watts continues that same thought by saying, on which the Prince of Glory died. Hmm. I find it a fitting title for the Son of the Creator of the Universe, part of the Trinity from before all of creation, laid aside aspects of his immortal attributes and became a mortal man so he could die for us. And moreover, he could relate to us. Simultaneously, man and God. He endured death for condemned sinners. Then he re-entered his lifeless body. It says in 1 Corinthians 2, 7 and 8 that, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. In the third line, Isaac Watts changes the focus to himself by saying, My richest gain I count as loss. Hmm. I'm reminded of Galatians 6.14. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has become crucified to me and I to the world. In Philippians 1.21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Colossians 3.1. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the reality of heaven. Why? Because it says in Matthew 6.20, But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Rather, seek to obtain the wisdom of the kingdom of God, because Proverbs 6.16 says, How much better to get wisdom than gold, to get Wisdom rather than silver. How much better to get wisdom than anything else in this world? Because Jesus said in Luke 9.25, For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits his own soul? The last line of this first stanza states, In poor contempt and all my pride. Seems obvious, but to despise and disdain our pride is something we should seek to the point of disposing it to the point of banishing it from our interactions with others and with ourselves. The dictionary calls out the definition of contempt as willful disobedience to or open disrespect of an authority. But what authority? By what authority? Could it be to disobey our Adamic nature? To actively dispose our natural tendency to consider ourselves and our own needs over the needs of others? In Proverbs 6.18 it says, Pride leads to destruction, and arrogance to downfall. Therefore, we must stay humble, grateful, and dependent on God. Now we move on to the first and second lines of the second stanza, which says, Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. In the Bible, it says, the wages of sin is death. Hmm, if we again go back to the Garden of Eden, did not God forbid Adam from eating the fruit of the tree of good and evil, and that if they did, they would surely die. And yet, God, through sacrificing his son, the second Adam, 
has restored us to a right relationship with God. Through Christ and his possession of the keys of death, hell, and the grave, we now have eternal life and faith that we will spend eternity in heaven. What else is there? What can we boast? What about who we are and what we have done or what we can do will ever compare with what Jesus did and went through for us and for you? Just like God forbade them to eat of the tree of knowledge, Isaac Watts asked God to forbid him from boasting about anything other than Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Paul elaborates about and validates these hymn verses in the scripture I just read in Galatians 6.14. In lines 3 and 4 of the second stanza, Isaac Watts writes, All the vain things that charm me most... I sacrifice them to his blood. Now we are getting to the good news of the gospel, as in the good news of Good Friday. Why would anyone name the day when Christ died on the cross as good? And why would the founding fathers of our faith make this leg of the three-legged tripod such a central part of our tripod of faith? Yes, Jesus had to be born in a miraculous way. And yes, if he had not risen from the grave, our religion would just be a philosophy with a really cool and colorful backstory. But as I have been sharing the last few episodes, something earth-shattering and history-changing happened on that cross. Just as history-defining for the Hebrews when the death angel was killing every firstborn in the land of Egypt, except for the homes with blood on the doorpost. Blood from a perfect lamb. And yes, the Bible and the founding fathers of our faith make a compelling case that Jesus is the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice for the sins of the world, for those who accept his sacrifice and allow themselves to be cleansed through the blood of Jesus. In lines 1 and 2 of the third stanza, Isaac Watts writes, See, form from his head, his feet, sorrow and love flow, mingled down. So yes, something happened beyond the physical torture he endured leading up to and on the cross. Something more, something more significant than any other historical event across the span of human existence. Many disciples, apostles, founding fathers, saints, and theologians believe he died not just of a broken heart, but a shredded spirit. As I will go into detail in a few lines, Jesus allowed himself to be nailed to a cross There was blood from the beatings, the beard pulling, the scourgings, even before they drove huge nails through the bones of his upper wrist and bones of his upper ankles. And some might say have been something to do a little bit more with the blood emanating down the knotted crown of large thorns jabbed into his head so hard. I'm surprised that not one of them, or maybe some did, break through his skull. That would have been a lot of blood. And yet these lines infer that the blood was mingled with sorrow, not for himself, but for the people like the bad thief, people like the good thief, the Romans who beat him, and even the members of the priest class like Caiaphas. And I've mentioned on previous episodes, the entire mission of Mother Teresa was based and bolstered by the contemplation of what Jesus meant when he uttered from the cross, I thirst. Spoiler alert, it is his deep desire to see as many be saved as possible, even for you, dear listener. And here is the bonus. Jesus would have done it even if it was just for you. In lines three and four of the third stanza, Isaac writes, 
Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose such rich a crown? As I touched on in the last episode, The Empty Cross, Jesus did not die just from the physical pain of the crucifixion process, but because this Son, the Prince of Peace and Lamb of God, had to decouple from his Father, the King of Creation, and take upon him all the vile, hurtful, spiteful, dark, and evil sins across the span of human existence, on him and in him. I am convinced that this was the worst death any human could ever have experienced. And while the physical aspects of the torturous process of a Roman crucifixion was one of, if not the worst, way to be put to a slow death, we contend that nothing compares to what happened in the spirit and soul of Jesus. Yes, Jesus, the Son of God, one member of the triunity, with God the Father since before the creation of the world. And even as an incarnation, the Gospels make it clear he was one with the Spirit and that he was in the Father and the Father was in him. And yet on the cross, the Father had to decouple from Jesus. Why? We again go back to the story of the fruit from the tree of knowledge. God cannot dwell or cohabitate with sin. It is why Adam and Eve were banished from the Garden of Eden. Adam had let the right relationship with God become fractured. We see here Christ on the cross, no longer his son, but the Lamb of God. He was about to become like an animal sacrifice, a sacrifice for all mankind. In lines one and two of the fourth stanza, Isaac Watts writes, His dying crimson, like a robe, spreads o'er his body on the tree. His physical death was not enough, so Jesus, as he became the second Adam, had to separate from God the Father as the true agony and anguish of all the sins of man from the beginning of human existence till the rapture in the future. All of the most vile, disgusting, foul, nasty, unpleasant, horrid, dreadful, abominable, offensive, odious, unsavory, repulsive, repelling, wicked, evil, heinous, villainous, diabolical, fiendish, vicious, murderous, barbaric, cruel, dark, rotten, nefarious, monstrous, spiteful, and hurtful actions ever committed was placed on and in Jesus. It is simply unimaginable. The Romans engineered a crucifixion to take a day or two for someone to die, but the gospel account says it took just about six hours. And as I said, I am not alone in the contention that his spirit simply could not withstand all that evil and sins that Jesus had to internalize. As I said, I feel it shredded his spirit, crushed his soul, and broke his heart. In lines three and four of the fourth stanza, Isaac Watts writes, Then I am dead to all the globe, and all the globe is dead to me. When nothing else matters, then nothing else matters. When I talk to God, well, when I share my thoughts of God with folks, sometimes people are polite, and sometimes people try to get you to change your perspective or sow seeds of doubt. But I am never moved because what I know about Jesus sacrificed and the personal experiences I have lived through and the things that I have seen, no one can move me. It may not be perfect, but I know who I am and I know who I am in Christ. I don't overthink it. I just be myself and share the gospel in my own way. I do so during divine appointments that the Holy Spirit reveals to me. Sometimes I have encountered pushback. I simply choose the eternal perspective and strive to find ways to plant seeds of doubt 
back into their psyche. But I feel Isaac Watts is talking about something deeper. And we have seen tinges of it back in 2008 when ISIS was busy purging the Holy Land and the greater Middle East of as many Christians as they could. In hindsight, it now seems that that was a precursor to a new cycle of persecution of God's people. Spoiler alert, every time governments and people persecute Christians, the church grows. But the point of this section is that Jesus, in John 15, 18-19, said, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. And moreover, Jesus, when being interrogated by Pilate, said, My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is from another place. And it seems this kingdom of heaven is all that matters. In lines one and two of the last stanza, Isaac Watts writes, Were the whole realm of nature mine, there were a present far too small. These lines say a lot, but what matters is the most simplest. There's nothing you can make, earn, inherit, win, buy, or acquire that you can give. Nothing that would be worthy of the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross. All we have left is gratitude. Like the angel said, all I have left is gratitude. And remember, angels do not receive or need redemption from the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross. So we should be way more grateful. What I'm saying is that according to a Jewish tradition, after God created the world, he turned to the angels and asked what they thought of his work. One of them replied and said that the world is so vast and so perfect that there was nothing wanting except a voice to offer God that which is owed him, an expression of gratitude. May our every moment of our life be tinged with the grateful and eternal perspective that will inspire others to ask, where are you heading? In the last few lines of the last stanza, Isaac Watts writes, Love so amazing, so divine, demand my soul, life my all. Isaiah 41.10 states, God says that he will go before you always. If God goes before us in every situation, that every situation is now different. God is always a step ahead, even when life makes us feel we've been left behind. There is a higher divinity, a love so deep. It inspires us to love and give our all back to him. And when you do, it frees you to trust God, truly trust him, no matter what the situation. We can give our all in every situation because we have been freed to see the eternal perspective of the gospel. If Jesus died so we can be with him in eternity, then nothing we go through here on earth should ever discourage us again. Even when we grieve through the death of a loved one, we can filter it through the lens of eternity and heaven. How much more if you die? Well, to be absent from this world is to be present with Christ. And yet, a hypothetical question like, what is your perspective of dying, is not the question Isaac Watts is asking here. The question really is, how will you live? What difference will it make when you go through the tough and terrible times of life? It seems that one day of the year most believers grapple with this is on Good Friday and Easter. It seems that that is the one time in the entire year that they really focus on these concepts. But just like people ask about Christmas, why can't every day be like Easter? You can walk, live, and move in the truths of this hymn. 
Meditate on it and just believe it today. If you are having a hard time with these concepts, allow me to encourage you to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to enlighten you around these perspectives. Today, read the Bible more and not read it like a novel or an article. Take the time, make the time to meditate and contemplate on the light of these biblical concepts. Today, if you are a Christian, have you been living in this perspective? Might I suggest you make the intention to die to your mind-based self, your Adamic nature, and commit to make the intention to stay in your awareness of and walk in your spiritual side as much as possible today? And if you have not accepted the incredible sacrifice Jesus made for you, then I suggest you contemplate what he did for you both on Good Friday and on Easter, asking Jesus to forgive you of your sins and to heal the painful parts of you. Ask Jesus to come into your heart today. And with that, go in grace and may God keep you in his perfect peace. Thanks for listening to What the Cross Means to Me devotional program heard every week on KKXX Life Radio. If you'd like to view the image discussed, the focus, along with other perspirations, then check out Magi Cross on Instagram. And if your church, youth group, or school would like to learn how to fundraise the Magi Cross products, hear other Cross podcasts, or read further meditative musings on the cross through my blog, then log on to magicross.com. That's M-A-J-I-C-R-O-S-S.com. 